We're in Genesis chapter 50, and we're going to look at three different portions of Scripture before we begin. Uh, We'll start in verse 22 of chapter 50, and we'll go down to the end of the chapter. This is the last chapter of the book of Genesis. And the Bible says in verse uh, 22, And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived a hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Micah, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you, and bring you out of this land into the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from thence. Hence, so Joseph died, being a hundred and ten years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, if you will, go to Exodus chapter 13, and we're going to look at verses 18 and 19. And the Bible says, But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And Joseph took the bones, and Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones away hence. With you, and of course, in chapter thirteen, it is talking about uh, leaving Egypt, and they take with them this body that's been embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt, and they take that with them. Now, keep in mind, they were two hundred and thirty years inside of Egypt. Um, it's interesting. It says the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. Uh, of course, you know when you're harnessed, you're joined to something else. You harness animals to pull away. But Israel was harnessed to God. And so together, God went with them and God led them out of the land of Egypt and went with them to the promised land and was with them in the 40 years they were wandering now we're going to look at the end of Joseph, uh, Joseph of uh, Joshua, the end of Joshua about Joseph. And we are in chapter 24. And we get down to the end. They've inhabited the promised land. And in verse 31 and 32, And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elder that overlived Joshua and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem in a parcel of ground which Joseph bought of the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver. And it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph." Tonight we're going to look at 
some dried bones. And what's the message of it? Interesting little side story of Joseph. We know him as the man who was sold, first placed in a pit, then sold into slavery, lied upon by Potiphar, placed into prison. For 13 years of his life, he was either a prisoner or a slave. And then he's called out to be the second ruler of all of Egypt. Joseph said, you will only be under me, he said, in the throne. On all other matters, you're above me. And Pharaoh pulled off his ring and placed it on Joseph's finger. And that ring was that ring of power that represented him being uh, Pharaoh, and Pharaoh puts it on the hand of Joseph. And of course, through God's wisdom given to Joseph, he spared not only Egypt, but the Bible says the whole world came to Egypt for grain. It says there was a famine throughout the whole world. And not a famine of a year or two. There were seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Now, if you and I in America farmed a land and had seven years of plenty, uh, I'm sure we would have bins of fruit and grain that would be stored up. But nowhere in our wildest imagination would we think about storing up enough for seven years of famine. We might be good for a year or two. Remember that Jacob did not send his sons till the second year. And Joseph said, we have five more years just like this. And they were out of food. Jacob, when he sent his son, sent gifts. And he sent nuts and palms and dates and things along those things. What he didn't have was grain. He had fruit that would last and it was stored. Uh, but they were out of food. A lot of spices, if you will, but no bread. And so Joseph was providentially led by God to not just save the world, but more particularly God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. And 70 came together in Egypt into the land of Goshen. They were there for 230 years. When they left, they numbered about three and a half million by most people's guess and estimation. Now, the reason we guess that is because they had a numbered army of 600,000. And so you base that on men and women and then children. And when it comes to children, the Jewish families, of course, wanted as many as God would gift them with. The Bible says children uh, are like the arrows of the Lord. Um, and it's like arrows in the quiver of a man going to war. And you wouldn't want just two or three, right? You want more arrows to shoot your enemy. And uh, so I heard in Bible college uh, that 
uh, blessed is the man that has his quiver full. And then one professor who had uh, six girls said, blessed is the man that knows when his quiver's full. He gave up trying for that son, and he, he had six daughters. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer, and let's get into the message of the bones of Joseph and what they're telling us today. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Lord, I'm so grateful to be back here at Grandview Baptist Church with the people I love. I enjoy so much getting to meet others, preach to others, but Lord, there's no place I love more than this place. And I thank you for the good news of how you bless Mother's Day last week, a, a great day, dear Father. Thank you for that. And Lord, continuing to work in the lives of people, souls saved, lives changed, and people baptized. And Lord, you're on your throne and you're doing your work. And we're so grateful that some of it you're doing here at Grandview Baptist Church. Lord, may your hand of blessing ever rest upon this place, upon its people, and upon our pastor. And I thank you for him and his family. Lord, I pray you'll bless the upcoming ladies' conference. Be with that, dear Father. May your Holy Spirit encourage our ladies and all else who will attend. And we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want to mention, if any men are interested, we're going to... uh, the cafeteria in Beaver Creek, the cafe. Uh, it's called Kissing Kate's, but it's good breakfast. And that's tomorrow at 9. And then uh, next Tuesday, which is the 23rd, uh, we are going to go on a, um, to a Stone Cliff Inn. How many have never been there? How many have never, never been there? It's a beautiful place. It's up on a bluff near Carver right near the Carver Bridge, and you overlook the, the uh, Clackamas River. And they have very delicious food. It's a big uh, log cabin, a lot of space, beautiful architecture. So that's next Tuesday. In this passage of Scripture, we see these dry bones. Can you imagine? Joseph says, take them with me. So when they're leaving uh, Egypt, of course... They gathered that coffin together and they, they put it, no doubt some stakes through it or put it on a wagon or a cart or something. They, they could move it any way they wanted. It wasn't the ark. It didn't have to be on men's shoulders. So they place it in a place they can move it. And now they're leaving. And the bones of Joseph will go down to the Red Sea. And then the bones of Joseph will see God's intervention and parting the Red Sea and marching across. And then the bones of Joseph, as though it had eyes, which it did not, uh, will see God bring the Red Sea back together and, and flood uh, Pharaoh's army and destroy them all in the Red Sea. And then the bones of Joseph go up to Kirjath-Jerah, where they send the 12 spies. And then those bones of Joseph has to wander 40 years in the wilderness with the rest of the Israelites till a whole generation pass away. Then the bones of Joseph will come, Joseph will come back to the River Jordan and they will cross the River Jordan. They'll celebrate for a little while and God will give them 
marching orders to go around Jericho, the largest city they will encounter. And the bones of Joseph will see God's mighty hand in pulling the walls down and seeing the city defeated. And Rahab the harlot's family saved and now a part of, of Israel. And little would they know that Rahab the harlot would also be in the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so God has interesting ways of bringing interesting people into his family. And he has placed them strategically to be used of him. So if you ever think you don't have the right pedigree to be used of God, let me remind you that in the birth of our Messiah, uh, there were many different people that were used that did not have a good pedigree, but they had a purpose with God's hand on their life. And that's all we need is God's purpose for our lives. And then finally, we see at the end, having conquered all the land and Joshua well up in years, and now he's about to pass away, but they remember that they've been carrying these bones of Joseph and they finally placed them in a field that was purchased uh, in Shechem. And they bury his bones there, no doubt place it in a cave. When it says bury in the Old Testament, keep in mind they buried a lot different. If you go today in Israel, you'll see many different uh, tombs, uh, but they're buried above ground. And so it would just be like uh, we have a, uh, a casket we would put people in, and then that casket has a concrete uh, encasement. And I forgot the particular name for that. What's that called? Vault. vault. And that vault, but it's like setting the vault on top of the land, uh, except they're very small. Uh, they're probably about uh, four and a half, five feet long. They're about two foot wide. And you think, how is someone laying down in there? Well, they're not. They're folded up in there. Keep in mind that they place them in caves. And when you go to Israel, you're able to see that. You'll see a burial cave. And in that burial cave, there are clay pots. And each clay pot is about two foot high. It's maybe one foot thick uh, around diameter. And then it's capped off on the top. It's mud put on it and it seals it on the top. Now inside of each one of those Clay vessels are the bones of their ancestors. So in other words, they would place them in the vault until nothing's left, till the bone, only the bones are left. Then they remove the top because you can still slide it and they pick out the bones. Imagine if you had that job with your ancestors. I don't think I would like that. Uh, you know, you come back, you pull it, and say, oh, not ready yet. And go back. Uh, I would not like that. <laughs> but anyway, finally, it's just the bones. And you take those bones, and they're all apart now. All the sinews gone, nothing holding them together. And you just put those in there. You fill it up. And now the vault is left for the next person. Um, in the family to use. So no doubt they had to have a few in case uh, multiple people had passed away. But before all that, and he's placed in that tomb, if you will, 
he says, don't bury me in Egypt. God will surely visit you and God will take you to the land that was uh, promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when you go, take my bones with me. Don't bury me in Egypt. And by way of introduction, I want to just mention two things about those bones. These bones were either stored or carried by the Israelites for 262 years. Imagine, 262 years. Now that's a long time, especially when you realize that in 1776, uh, we became a country officially, and that makes us 247 years old. Not 262 years. Joseph's bones were stored or carried for longer than our country has been a nation. Imagine doing that to George Washington's bones and carrying them around from generation to generation. Joseph, who stood for God all of his life, wanted his bones to bear a message. He wanted those bones to say something. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, speaking of Abel, it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Now that's an interesting statement he being dead yet speaketh. Now Abel was the first person to die on planet earth. Abel was the youngest person to die on planet earth, killed by his brother Cain. I don't know what age he was. We know they were born and we know that his brother rose up in anger and slew him. But the interesting thing is all those many years later in the book of Hebrews, it will say, he being dead yet speaketh. Now, Abel gave a more excellent sacrifice, the Bible says. He gave a sacrifice of a lamb and it was accepted of God. Cain did not. He offered vegetables from his garden and God refused that, but also said, that uh, he also could provide a lamb for sacrifice. The Bible says sin lieth at the door. And the word Hebrew word for sin is also the Hebrew word that means sin offering. So a sin offering. If you want to do right, there's a sin offering at the door, just that close to you. There's a lamb. You can slay it. I will accept it. The blood offering. The message of these bones, what was he trying to say? Now, of course, you must uh, understand I am adding some uh, poetic license here now. I don't know because it's not written in the word, right? Uh, I want you to know I've had no special revelation on that. Uh, special revelation is word for word in the Bible. It's the word of God is the special revelation. But I want us... Think of three things that these bones of Joseph would be saying. The first one is, he was in the world, but not of the world. 
He said, I'm in Egypt. Egypt was always a type of the world. He said, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. I'm in Egypt, but I don't think and act like an Egyptian. I'm in Egypt, but I don't worship like an Egyptian. I worship the Lord God of heaven, the Lord God of Israel. And I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. Now, folks, that's exactly what we are. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. This world should not have attachments to us. Joseph was the third ruler of Egypt, but he never felt he was of the world. John chapter 17, verse 14 through 16 says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So if you're wondering why are Christians so much hated, why what we believe and stand for is hated in a world where good uh, is equated as evil and evil is equated as good. Why is that? Because we're not of the world, even as Jesus Christ was not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And so there we are. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasure upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So that's why the Bible says, Lay not up treasures here on earth, because... Wherever our treasure is, there is our heart also. And so we need to make sure that our treasure is being laid up in heaven. And I love the way the Holy Spirit says it. He says, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. You get to lay it up yourself by the deeds you do, by the investments you make for the cause of Christ, our gifts, what we give how we serve, how we worship, the things we do to influence the cause of Christ here on earth. Second Timothy 2, 4 says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And the Bible talks about not getting entangled in the cares of this life. Now, do we have to labor? Yes, we do. Do we have to earn a living? Yes, we do. Uh, is it wrong to uh, be successful at making a living? No, it's not. One of the greatest givers and in America's time has been John D. Rockefeller. He still has multiplied millions that are given out every single year. He had the equivalent, I've heard, that uh, when he passed away, he had the equivalent of one-tenth of all of the pro productive income of USA. That is far richer than any rich man is today. Uh, so that is pretty, pretty impressive. But he also taught Sunday school every Sunday as well. 
he loved the Lord and he'd given his life to Christ at an early age. We need to beware of attachments. This world uh, is a little bit like leeches. It wants to grab a hold. It wants to hang on to us. And like a leech, it wants to suck the life, the spiritual life out of us. Now, we know it can't, but it's going to try. And we need to beware of that. I read an illustration of a man called Felipe Massa. He was of Brazil, and he was running in the Formula One Grand Prix in Singapore in September 2008. And he was leading the pack, and he only had another uh, lap or two, and he no doubtedly would win. But he had to come in for a very quick fuel stop. And when he started to pull away, they found out that the hose that put the fuel in the car had not been taken out. And so he starts dragging the fuel line for a little while that's attached to the fuel tank. And quickly, they had to back him up. They had to pull the fuel uh, handle out, shut the door, sent him on his way again, and he managed to finish 13th with only two laps to go when he was way ahead of the pack. What happened? He had some attachments. You know, the Bible tells us to lay, away, lay apart every uh, weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. We shouldn't be carrying weight when we're running through this life. So I've often said it's not wrong for Christians to have things. It's wrong for things to have us. So you can live in a nice house as long as that nice house doesn't have attachments to you. It's just a home. It's just a house. It's just a place. You can have a nice car as long as that car doesn't mean that much to you. It's just transportation. It's just stuff. And remember what Pharaoh told uh, Joseph to tell Jacob when he left uh, the land of Canaan? He said, leave your stuff there. All the stuff he collected for his whole life. He said, just leave your stuff. We got stuff here too. (laughs) It's just stuff. And we're all going to leave it behind. The story of two men watching a hearse of a rich man go by and someone said, I wonder how much he left. And the other guy said, well, he left it all. (laughs) We leave everything behind. And so we want to take care of our loved ones, see that they're doing well. But don't let this world have attachments to us. So he wanted to say he was in the world, but not of the world. Secondly, he wanted to be identified with God's people, not the Israelites. Uh, Excuse me, not the Egyptians. Now, Moses knew something about that, having been raised up in in Pharaoh's uh, palace with Pharaoh's daughter as his uh, assumed mom. And yet he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Well, Joseph was in the world, but not of the world, but he didn't want to identify. He could have had perhaps a a great pyramid with his tomb in it. He could have had a great statue with him 
on it. He could have had his name written in many different places of stone, but that was not what his, that didn't matter to him. He didn't care about the things of this world. He didn't care about the things of Egypt. He wanted to be associated with God's people. And he wanted to know that God's people knew he was one of them. Oh, that's so important. I read an illustration about a man in the Civil War. His name was George Wyatt. And uh, they drew lots to see who could go to battle. And his lot was drawn, but George Wyatt had a wife and six children. And so, of course, he wasn't particularly fond of going to war. But there was a young man named Richard Pratt who offered to go in his place. He said, I'm not married. I don't have children. I will go in your place, George. And they actually gave him a uniform with George Wyatt's name on it, even though his name was Richard Platt. And in, the, uh, in, in their uh, writings on that, he was George Wyatt, even though everyone knew it was not George Wyatt, it was Richard Platt. But he accepted George's position in the military. Well, as the war went on, unfortunately, Richard passed away. He was killed in battle. Well, the army uh, went back and was trying to draft George Wyatt to go again, the man with one wife and six kids. So they came back and said, well, uh, Richard is killed in battle, and now you have to go to go fill your position. And he argued, uh, not so. You see, because Dave Richard Platt, he took my place. And he died in my place. And I will always thank him for that and always owe him for that. But because he died in my place, my position is no longer called for. Because I have already paid the price through that substitute. Now that is exactly, and by the way, that's what the courts upheld. David Platt had taken his place and died in his place, so no longer could they get George Wyatt in the military. And that's exactly why you and I as believers have been set free from our sin because they have been paid for in full by our Savior. Praise God. Amen. That's a good thing. And so we are seen as sinless before God because our substitute took our sin and paid our price, gave us his righteousness and gave us his reward. And so what a wonderful thing. He wanted to identify with God's people. We ought to want to identify with God's people. Now, there's several things that can. Uh, baptism is commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ, but it also identifies us with Christ. Uh, we are buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. It is simply telling everyone who watches a Christian get baptized that that person has placed their faith in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Doesn't mean you're a mature Christian. Doesn't mean you got your act together. It means you have trusted Jesus Christ and the death, burial, and resurrection is what purchased our salvation. It identifies us with the Christ who died for us. Church attendance identifies us with Christ and other Christians. It identifies us with each other, not a building, but a people. We are part of a spiritual family, and every church is. Whether it runs 10,000 or runs 10, it's part of a spiritual family. And God calls all of us to be a part of a spiritual family. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Now, folks, do you see the day approaching for Christ's return? Are there any particular signs that might be going on in Salem or Washington, D.C. or around this world that might look like uh, things are waxing worse and worse uh, before the coming of the Lord? And it just may be that Jesus would want to come and get us. I I always, uh, I used to pray, even so, come Lord Jesus. Now I pray, Lord, bail us out of this. (laughs) Come on and get us and uh, spare us some of this. And it's just the craziness. It's not persecution we're dealing with. It's just craziness. But uh, the world is going to get worse and worse. We're not in the world. Uh, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We don't think like them. We're, we are not, the world's not happy with us for not accepting their thinking. And then our love for each other identifies us with Christ and with each other. Um, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples and that you have love one for another. We ought to love each other. John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. I forgot I even had that verse down. We ought to love each other. We ought to be kind to each other, courteous to each other. Uh, Every time we come to church, it's like a family reunion like a family reunion. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We ought to act like that. We all want to talk to our aunts and uncles, uh, our in-laws and outlaws. We're at a family reunion. Can you imagine going to a family reunion just sitting in one place and going like this? Not talking to anybody. Not shaking anyone's hand, not giving anyone a hug. You are just setting there off. All your relatives are going to say, what's the matter with them? Well, he got hit on the head when he was little. <laughs> and he's been like that most of his life. Well, most of us have not been hit on the head when we were little. We ought to love each other. We ought to act like it. We ought to learn to smile at each other and wave at each other and, and be a part of God's family. And this morning, I was uh, at the chamber early this morning, and uh, one of the gen- a gentlemen there is a contractor, has his own business. And uh, the last time I was there was two weeks earlier, and... 
Uh, I just mentioned uh, our church and reaching people, and he came up to me afterwards. He said, you know, I just moved on Henrici, and I have a young daughter, and my wife and I were uh, wanting to get in church, and uh, you're, you're just real close. I said, yes, we are. And uh, he, he said, well, uh, w- would you mind if we come? <laughs> yeah, like, yes, we'd be glad for you to come. We'd be thrilled for you to come. And so uh, he came last Sunday. He didn't get to come. He said his daughter was sick the Sunday before. He came last Sunday. And uh, he came up to me. He said, man, I love your church. We're coming back this Sunday. And uh, they're supposed to be in pastor Sunday school class. And so that's a good place for him to be. But love each other and be kind. He said, it was so friendly. He said, my daughter loved it. My wife loved it. I loved it. People were friendly to us. People were kind to us. We stayed in the parking lot and talked to people for a while. It was, it was unreal, he said. Well, that's what church ought to be. Folks, that's what church ought to be. We ought to all go out of our way to love on people. So, so don't just hit the door as soon as, you know, last prayer, you know, already you're one foot toward the, the door. Like, get me out of here. We're here for a purpose. Well, I heard the preaching. I heard the singing. Well, that's okay. But fellowship is part of that which Christians came for. It says a breaking of bread and doctrine. Fellowship. That was part of the uh, activity of the early church. They loved on each other. They ate together. They, uh, they were a family of faith. And we ought to be as well. And then finally, the third thing the bones of Joseph is saying, I'm going to the land of promise. I'm here in Egypt, but I'm going to the land of promise. That promised land that God gave to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that's, that's my land. It was my daddy that God gave that promise to, and that's where I'm going to be buried in the promised land. And folks, you and I are going to the promised land too. That blessed hope, that wonderful place called heaven. In Genesis 33, verse 19, it says, And he bought a parcel of field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. So in Genesis 33 is where he bought it. And then in uh, Joshua 24 is when he was buried in that land. So his father, Jacob, had bought it many, many years earlier. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, Paul says, For I am now ready to be offered. This is the last epistle he writes. Soon after this, he's going to give his life for the cause of Christ. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Do you love the appearing? In other words, looking forward to the coming of the Lord, looking forward to the rapture. 
My pastor is in heaven. But he was convinced that Jesus Christ was going to come in his lifetime. And I don't know if the Lord's going to come in my lifetime, but I'm convinced he could. And we ought to live our lives accordingly, looking forward to that soon appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 34 says, For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. In other words, Paul's saying, you people, you gave me stuff to live on, but you did it knowing that in heaven you have an enduring substance. These things we have on earth, they're not enduring. A brand new car is only new for so long. And then you park it at Walmart and get dings in the side if you (laughs) stay there. Or, you know, things wear out. And you'd never think it would, but it does. Our houses, our homes. Remember back in the day where we had these wonderful avocado appliances in our homes with bright orange laminate, and that was modern, I tell you. But imagine if someone went in your home and you had that now. You'd say, oh, no. And then you'd finally say, I, I got nice laminate. And then after that, you'd say, okay, I, I've got some granite. And then you'd say, well, I finally settled for quartz. And then you said, well, I decided to pull it all out and put in concrete. And what's it going to be next? Stainless steel? <laughs> so at last, you know, as soon as it looks beautiful, it's outdated. As soon as you put the last touches on it, you chose the color because it's, it, it was what everybody liked. And then a month later, everybody started another color. It's, it's crazy. But the things of this world, the fashion of this world passes away. In uh, Valladolid, Spain, where Christopher Columbus died in 1506, there stands a statue. And one of the most common things about this statue is it had a big model, a motto over the city. And it was knee plus ultra. And the word ni is a negative in Spanish, meaning no more beyond. Because that's what Spain believed. They were the furthest west of the known world. And there was nothing else further than Spain. Until Christopher Columbus sailed over and found more. So when he died, they changed that image And they had the statue made of a lion that was chewing up the word nay, which meant more yonder, more beyond. That's what it meant, more beyond, because the lion ate up the word no. And there's the sign over the city, all because of Christopher Columbus. There is more beyond. Now, It's not because him it's over there. He just was sent over there and found some land. But let me tell you, 
There is more beyond this life. And you and I as believers need to be living like there's more beyond. Sometimes even good Christians, as ourselves, are tempted to live so that we are provided and taken good care of in this life. And yet that goes contrary to everything Scripture tells us. Certainly we need to eat and drink and have clothing and a place to live. But we need to make sure we're well provided in the next life. Because we are certainly going there, having given our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. But we need to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven. And I know some Christians said, well, pastor, it don't matter to me. If I, when I get to heaven, that's good enough. I don't care. Well, it's, it's not just about us. It's about what we do for the Savior and us hearing, well done, thy good and faithful servant. We used what we were given by God for good and for God and his glory. And may the bones of Joseph simply be a reminder that though he was third ruler in Egypt, he wanted his bones buried in the land of the children of Israel in the land of promise. And you and I are going to a land that God has promised us. The Bible says, let not your heart be worried. Well, in fact, verse 1, it says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. So heaven is going to be where our Savior is. And it's going to be a wonderful opportunity to love on Jesus throughout eternity. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this simple reminder, dear Father. Um, This illustration in the life of Joseph and his bones that lets us know we're just passing through. We're, We're just a poor wayfaring stranger passing through this world of woe. But Lord, one of these days we'll live in your eternal light in the presence of our Savior, our God, with each other. And Lord, we're going to love each other in heaven. Help us to practice that here on earth. And we'll praise you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand together. Piano's playing. And would you take the time with head bowed just to talk to the Lord? Thank Him for that eternal life and for that heaven He has prepared for you.
God bless you, and I hope you have a wonderful evening. Ladies, I hope you can all go to the ladies' conference. You'll be encouraged. You'll laugh. You'll have a good time. I know um, there's uh, two special speakers coming. One has been before. One's new. You'll enjoy them. And then ladies, of course, from our church as well. God bless you. Have a good rest of your week.